We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. Amen. So a lot of folks have joined us since we moved here to Ridge Road. A lot of folks have joined us since eight or nine years ago when I was kicked out of our old denomination for reimagining religion's core story and we voted to go together and lost our building and became homeless. And a lot of people have joined us since we found our first home downtown, consequently needed to change our community's name because the old name had the term North Raleigh in it. So if you went through that time with us, this Advent lesson will have familiar themes. But for a lot of folks who have joined us since those events, this is going to be important background understanding. This Advent, we're going to talk about uh, why we chose the name Common Thread and what it means to us. Uh, before we start, credit where credit is due, we were batting around a lot of names and Jen, wave Jen, uh, ran it by her husband, John Pavlovitz. Many of you have read the things that he has written. And he was the one to suggest this name and put it in the mix. And as you're going to hear in a minute, I think it's a good one. So to help us think about this Advent lesson and help, to help us to think about our name, uh, we're going to have three history lessons. One, the one that we'll be looking at today, is history from 1,700 years ago. Another we'll look at next week from a thousand years ago and the third from 300 years ago. The point of all three being how do we live well for the years that we get on this planet? I am not and I bet you are not either looking forward to this coming election year. <laughs> like many I am flat worn out by outrage baiting I am flat worn out by misinformation and bad behavior. I am also worn out because I have undertaken consistent work of resisting getting caught up in the non-stop messaging that I must be afraid of the other, that I must disdain the other, that I must be afraid that given half a chance the other would destroy the world. So, as I often do when I am troubled, uh, I'm going to invite us to go back into history and stand back from our historical moment and see how other people living in other moments found light in their dark times and see if their quests can inform our quest to find light in our own dark time. So, how do we find light? And along the way, 
What does it mean that we are common thread? So let's start in the desert. Let's talk about a period of Western Christian history known as the pre-Nicene period, or the time in history before Nicaea. Now the Council of Nicaea was a really big event in Western history. Another time we'll talk about the debate that this council convened to settle, but if we stand back from the specifics of the debate, it marked the moment, it represents the time when Rome took over Christianity. Now that's a derogatory way of saying it because the bishops who convened at that council actually worked really hard to try and resist Roman pressure to shape what the word Christian came to mean. But in the end, it became very clear Rome won. The final document says differently. What you may have heard of as the Nicene Creed says it very differently. Thank you, bishops. But ever after, it was Rome's sensibilities, not Jesus' sensibilities, that most informed the shape of Western Christian institutions. Consequently, it marked a dark turning point in our history. We got in bed with abusive power. For 30 pieces of silver, we sold our souls to provide religious justification for abusive power. Now that said, the light has continued to shine in our tradition in many, many places. I bet you have experienced, I have, some of those places. But often I experienced it, maybe you too, in the out-of-the-way spaces because many of our institutions missed the light, walked in darkness, called the darkness light. But there have been many other places, beautiful places, that held on to the beauty. And these three lessons are going to be three of those places. So, the desert. We went to the desert to not be co-opted by Rome. We went to find light in a time of darkness, and we found it. Next week, another out-of-the-way place. Uh, around the time of the Great Schism, a thousand years ago, a split between the East and the West, we'll look at what drove that schism and how in the East we found light that we lost in the West and how what they found can inform our own quest for light today. The third lesson we'll uh, look at came from the 17th century, a group of dissidents, religious dissidents, a group of religious nonconformists, the Quakers, began to chart a path forward on this rethinking journey that these many years later, our community draws from very heavily. They began to push back against the toxic accumulation that had happened through the generations and begin to rethink the story we tell ourselves about God, about our own nature, and about spiritual life. Now, many from all of these moments in history were killed for their efforts. We owe them a debt. And here at Common Thread, undertaking this rebuilding healthy religion uh, enterprise that we have, we have built on their work. We have built on their spiritual insights. We have built on their lives as they experienced the inner divine and as they left a roadmap for us. 
So let's begin with a text that is familiar to many in our tradition. It is the first words of the book of John. You might have heard it referred to as the Johannine Prologue. It starts this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then for the next ten verses, it speaks of Jesus in a way different from the other three Gospels, how the other three Gospels speak of Jesus. Because the book of John was written 60 years after the other three Gospels, 90 years after Jesus had been uh, in, in, uh, on the earth. And the author had had time to reflect on this whole experience and what it had meant over the intervening 90 years. And as happens when we make meaning out of our experiences, the author's language shifted from very concrete language that you will see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke to more abstract, more layered, the language of poetry more than the language of prose. More stacked with meaning, layered on top of meaning, layered on top of meaning. So if you've read the book that I wrote, the story in the very last chapter, the universal mind story, it's informed by a paraphrase that I made of this prologue to the book of John, paraphrasing these first ten verses. And here's one of the paraphrases that I did during that time. In the beginning was word, divine breath, divine mind, divine oneness, universal mind. And from divine mind came light and dark, wind and water, rocks and trees, and love and life and you and me. All made of divine breath, all carrying divine mind, all connected in divine oneness. But our eyes were clouded and we couldn't see it until it, divine mind, showed up among us, and we couldn't miss it. Divine light carried in human flesh. Who knew? Who knew divine light inhabits human flesh? But it did, and it does. Now, if you grew up in the church that I grew up in, and if you were familiar with the passage, hearing my paraphrase would probably feel a little bit unsettling. In fact, everything I'm about to say about these three moments in history will probably feel unsettling because there's a very good chance, again, if you grew up in church, that you were taught the exact opposite of my paraphrase and you were taught the exact opposite of what you're going to hear about the desert tradition, the Eastern Orthodox tradition, and the Quakers. But our starting point for this lesson is this. There's a reason you would have learned the exact opposite of that paraphrase. And it wasn't because of what Jesus taught. It wasn't because of the origin of our tradition. Now, if you didn't grow up in church, but you did grow up in the West, there's a very good chance that you carry the basic assumptions that are baked right into the Western religion narrative. 
because given how influential the Christian institution has been for society in the West for the last 17 years, it has shaped how we think. It has shaped how we think about other people. It has shaped how we think about ourselves. We are deeply embedded in a story that is very old, but also very toxic around how we view our own humanity and how we view the humanity of the other. So that is the backdrop for thinking about what common thread means. Discerning what is the common thread that connects us all. And that thread is this. We all carry in our deepest selves the divine light. Now that's a story that's deeply embedded in our tradition, but it has been cleverly hidden under Rome's imperial ambitions. It's a cornerstone of our tradition, the recovery of which is so important that we say it every week. We are, every one of us, carriers of the inner light. That includes everyone in this room, everyone watching on the live stream. It includes everyone who is not in this room. It includes all the people of all the traditions that the Christian church has for many, many years excluded. All the people who belong to other religions, all the people of no religion, all the people who grew up in the wrong country or who love wrong or who dress wrong, all, every one of us, carriers of the inner light. The light, John says in 1.9, is there and it enlightens every man and every woman and every child. The light we saw in Jesus is in every one of us and that is our common thread. Now there's a reason the fathers and mothers left for the desert. They were appalled by what was being lost as our religion sold out to empire. We sold out in order to gain place, in order to gain power. But what we lost hardly made it a good deal. Let's talk about these Latin words, creatio ex nilo. This is the part you would have been familiar with if you went through that process where we were uh, losing our building and finding a new place when we changed our name. The words mean in Latin, God created everything out of nothing. God created everything out of nothing. Now, that is not a story that Jesus told. That is not a story that Jesus would have even been familiar with because it was not a story that the Jewish tradition told. It was not a story that the early Christians told. They told a story that God made the world out of God's own spirit. That's the very first story in our book. It says that, that everything that is was made out of the breath of God, and the word for breath is the same as the word for spirit. Uh, the origins of everything, the inhabiting of everything, is the very essence of the divine. You can't get more precious than being, because being emanates from the divine. But that story, the Jewish story, Jesus' story, the early Christian story, is very inconvenient if you're an expansionist empire and you need to justify crushing other peoples, if you need to justify taking their land and making them captives and taxing them into subsistence. Empire needs a story that everything is really nothing. Empire needs a story that decidedly does not say that everything and everyone pulsates 
with the very life of the divine. Empire needs a story to help justify crushing other people's lives and telling ourselves as we did, we're actually giving them a gift. Life after death will be so much better. And we'll take all the land, we'll take all the liberty, but in exchange, we will give them eternity. Which the fathers and the mothers went to the desert to reject. They went to remind us that the light of the divine is in all of us. It's in the Germanic tribes that we are crushing to the north. It's in the European people that are being crushed by Rome, in the North African people, in the Jewish people, all the peoples being crushed by empire, every one of them carrier of the inner light. So we went to the desert. And at first we went as individuals, hermits. You might have heard of the hermitage uh, tradition. But then we began to gather into communities, spiritual communities on, built on, yes, we do carry the light. And it wasn't long before that story began to change how we lived, how we acted, how we were human. Their communities began to focus on healing the world. Google that guy. Take a snap picture of Google later, Basil of Caesarea. He actually was the found, founder of healthcare. <laughs> he was the founder of hospitals, the idea that we would care for those who were ill in a way that the empire did not care for them. Also in the desert, uh, the, those communities begin to feed those who could not find place in empire. They taught their communities to care for those who were being crushed by the imperial agenda and to create a compassionate society to protect the weak and to protect the vulnerable and to not overlook them because that's what you do when the light is in them just like it is in us. Now, the desert tradition had some naysayers. One of Rome's most articulate theologians, his name was Augustine, he told us, I'm so sorry. We used to have the light within us. But then, sin. Sin was so powerful, it erased the image of God that we used to carry. It extinguished the light of God that we used to carry. Sin is so powerful, it rendered all of us wholly corrupt, irredeemably corrupt. Sin, so powerful, it forever disconnected us from and forever disconnected our children from and their children from our essential divine nature. That's how powerful sin is, Augustine told us. For which Rome was very thankful, very helpful. Thank you, Augustine. But no, the desert tradition insisted. Sin is a thing. Of course it is. Look around. Look at how we treat each other. Look at how we hurt each other. Sin is definitely a thing. It's just not the thing. The inner light is the thing. And that we all carry it, that is the common thread that runs through all of us. Roman co-opting of our religion, be damned, more power and access than we could have ever imagined, be damned, the treasure of our tradition that we gave away is this. 
Jesus showed us what it means to be truly human. To be fully human is to be fully divine. To carry the divine light within us is what it means to be human. We are, every one of us, made by God, made out of whatever God is made out of. We are sons and daughters, all of us, of the divine. And the spiritual journey is a practicable way to find our way back to our true and rightful selves. The fathers and mothers went to the desert to help us remember, to help us awaken from the slumber into which we had fallen. They went to point us back to who we truly are. Every person on this earth, notwithstanding how great a blindness into which we have fallen, notwithstanding how deep a slumber has settled upon us, we carry the light of God. When we behave well, when we behave badly, when we go to church, when we do not, when we are Jews or Hindus or Muslims or Christians, and sure, sin, and sure, blindness, and sure, losing our way, and hurt people who hurt people, yes. A common thread that runs through every one of us and that the desert tradition taught us that there is an inextinguishable light that we all carry. And it is hidden from us. Yes, it is. But it is in us. And it is in them. And it is in the rocks and the trees, everything pulsating with the light of God. They went to the desert to help us hold on to our story. They went to the desert to help us remember and while they were there, they laid the foundations of the spiritual practices that help us find our way back to who we most truly are. We call those practices working the circle. When we practice mindfulness, as we do, when we meditate, as we do, when we are communal and contemplative and learning and serving, as we are, we are building on the foundations that the desert fathers and mothers laid for us. I'll finish today with a story from another one of those out-of-the-way places that Rome did not co-opt, another place that held on to the interior light outside of Rome's border up to the north, the Celts. Our tradition there followed a more holistic path. This book, Christ of the Celts, Philip Newell, it helped me understand a significant part of that northern tradition. A story from that book, the author was in Ottawa, Canada, uh, giving a talk uh, there about the interior light. He was processing the text that we read earlier, the prologue from the book of John, that the true light that enlightens every man and every woman and every child. So here's the story. At the end of the talk, a Mohawk elder stood with tears in his eyes and said, as I have listened to these themes, I have been wondering where I would be today I have been wondering where my people would be today. I have been wondering where we would be as a Western world today if the mission that came to us from Europe centuries ago had come expecting to find the light of God in us. If our starting point is what our cosmological myth tells us it is, 
that we are all made in the image of God, that we are made of the very stuff that God is made of, that it was breathed into us from the beginning, that we are, every one of us, carriers of the interior light, that changes everything. And that is what common thread means to me. So, indwelling divine, alive to the light within, that's our prayer. Amen. Those of you who are online, we are going to dismiss you now. And when we do, we are going to open the floor here in the room. And I'm just going to ask what folks are thinking. And uh, we would like to invite you to do the same thing, but on Zoom. Uh, there will be someone there to uh, host. There's only four of them. So, and Sue's here today. So it's one of, wait a minute, Scott's here today too. So what, did Scott just leave? Okay, so you're not hosting. I don't know who's hosting. There's only two people left, and I know they're both very nice. So if you will go to the link in the YouTube notes, or if you will go to the front page of our website, you'll get the link. When you get there, it's going to ask you for a password. Here it is. You ready? It is 1417. 1417. So we hope you'll go and uh, participate in that. It's a great way to make relationships with people you don't know. And in the end, you will know them and they will become dear to you. Let's dismiss the folks online as they go. Let's put our hands on our hearts as we do and remember as we go that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness are in us. The fruit of the Spirit is within us. And let's extend our other hand to our city and to those that we live and work and go to school with. May we share with them what's already in us, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. You are dismissed. Uh, we are not. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.